You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today, we are kicking off a new series called Built to Last. And speaking of Built to Last, last summer, uh, I went to Italy to visit my older brother, Josh, who's an army chaplain stationed with his wife in Italy. And uh, my oldest son, Aaron, came with me. And my dad invited himself on the trip, so he came too. (laughs) And we had a blast. We traveled all around Italy, and we made it down to Rome, one of my favorite cities. Uh, I'm a history buff and just love learning about the history and experiencing the culture and the food. Oh, my gosh. Don't go to Italy if you're on a diet, okay? I'm just telling you, okay, because you're going to come back weighing a little bit more than when you left, and it's worth it. So we enjoyed eating our way through Italy, and we did a food tour. Come on. If you're not into history, just do a food tour. We did a food tour. We did all these, these uh, taste testings one night, and, and after the food tour, we just roamed through the streets of Italy, just taking in the sights and the sounds and the architecture and all these little romantic streets and alleyways. And at one point in time, we had to cross a bridge to get back to our hotel. And as we were crossing this bridge, we just noticed it looked just ancient. I mean, it was built with these massive stones and just looked like something very Roman. And I was like, man, I wonder how old this bridge is. And my son Aaron took out his phone and used his flashlight, and we read an inscription that was on the bridge that said, the bridge was built in 62 BC. 62 BC. This thing was over 2,000 years old. We were walking across it. Later on, I looked it up. The name of the bridge is the Ponte Fabricio, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. It's the Fabrician Bridge in English. And this thing was built in 62 BC. It's the oldest bridge in Rome that still exists in its original state. Now, we build bridges in this country that don't last 100 years. The Tappan Sea Bridge only lasted 62 years. This thing lasted since 62 BC. It's amazing. Like the Romans didn't have all the technology we have and they built better things than us. Talk about something built to last. Well, here's the point of the series. Everybody wants to build something with their lives. Isn't that something we we all want? We all have goals. We all have dreams. We're all building something with our lives. Some of us, we're building a financial portfolio. Some of us, we aspire to build a great career. Some of us, it's to get married and build a family. We want to build a life for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yet I think there are so many people who are building their lives around things that when it's all said and done, it's really not going to matter. For some people, it's all about how much money they have in the bank account. It's all about having the bigger house or the fancier car or having more followers on social media. And all of that stuff is nice, but I believe God is inviting us as his church into a life of purpose, into a life of eternal impact to build something with our lives for his glory. And that's what this series is about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying the life and ministry of a great man of faith in the Old Testament known as Nehemiah. And he was someone who was a builder. He answered the call of God in his generation to rebuild the things of God, to leave a legacy. He was someone who embraced his God-given purpose. And I believe over the next few weeks, you're going to be inspired to build yours. You're going to be inspired to go after all that God has for you and to live a life of purpose and legacy. Come on, how many of you want that? That's what we want to do over the next few weeks in this series and as we talk about it in life groups during the week. So before we jump into 
Nehemiah chapter 1. Let me give you a little context, okay? Nehemiah was originally combined with the Old Testament book of Ezra. So they follow each other in order, Ezra then Nehemiah. They were originally one book in the Old Testament written around 430 BC during the time of the exile when the Israelites had been unfaithful to God and he allowed them to be conquered and they were living in captivity. What happened is the Babylonians came along, they attacked the southern kingdom of Judah, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they, they pulled the temple down, burned it, and they carried off a large part of the population back to Babylon. Well, later on, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, okay? So here are many of the Jewish people. Nehemiah is living among them in the Persian Empire. It's a dark time, but there's hope. There's a glimmer of hope. God begins to soften the heart of the successive kings of Persia who begin to allow the Jews to go back and to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem. So in the midst of all this darkness, there's a glimmer of hope. And that sets us up for Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. Here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, that's just a Jewish term for November slash December, in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa, one of the leading cities in the Persian empire, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's Nehemiah. He's living in the Persian Empire. He's an official in the king's court. We're going to find that out later on in this story. And one of his brothers comes back from the Holy Land. And of course, he wants to know how are things progressing with the remnant who are there, with those who have been allowed to go back and rebuild. And his brother tells him that the walls of Jerusalem in verse 3 are broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, the city still sits in disrepair. The temple is still broken down. Our people are shamed. There's no momentum. Things are not moving forward. The, the place is in disrepair. Now you have to understand, Jerusalem is not just any city. It was the holy city. It was the place where the temple was located. The temple was the symbolic place where God's presence dwelt on earth. This is the place where the Israelites, the people of God, went to, to worship, to sacrifice, to be in the presence of God. The temple was the place where heaven and earth overlapped. And you have to realize for the Jewish people, the land was more than just land. The land represented the covenant that God had made with their great forefather, Abraham, when God promised to bless him and make him into a great nation and bring the people into their own land. So all of this, the, dis, the, the, the disrepair of Jerusalem and the fact that so many of his people were still in exile and things lay in ruins, all of this was a reminder to Nehemiah and his people of just how far they had fallen, just how far they had fallen, that their relationship with God was in disrepair. The walls being broken down, the gates being burned, all of this was a reminder that their relationship with God was in disrepair. And I wonder, have you ever been there before? Have you ever had a moment in life where you opened your eyes and you looked around and you recognized that your relationship with God was not what it used to be? 
Maybe you used to feel so close to him. You had a sense of God's presence in your life, in your home, and now God feels like thousands of miles away. Maybe you used to love to be in church. You used to love to gather with your church family and worship, and now it's difficult just to make it to church every few weeks, every few months. Maybe you used to love spending time with God, reading the Bible, worshiping and praying, and your life is so busy, and there are so many distractions that you haven't done that, and it seems like ages. Maybe there's some things in your life that are symptomatic of the fact that you're not quite as close to God as you used to be. Maybe your marriage is really difficult right now. Maybe your finances are out of whack and you find yourself going deeper and deeper into debt because you haven't made wise decisions. Maybe your health is slipping. Maybe it's a sense of bitterness and unforgiveness in, in your heart that are all symptoms that you're not as close to God as you used to be. Maybe it's just your, your, your love has kind of grown cold. You're not as passionate about God as, as you used to be. I think we've all been there before. I think we've all been there before. Maybe many of you feel that way today. How do you respond when you recognize that your relationship with God is in disrepair? Some area of your life is in disrepair. Today, I want to give you four keys to rebuilding a broken relationship with God. I want to give you some practical wisdom today. I want to invite you to sit up, take some notes so you go to Life Group this week and you're really prepared. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. It's an open book quiz. I want to give you four keys to rebuild a broken relationship with God. And maybe today you might be noticing some cracks in the foundation. For some of you, it's full-blown disrepair. For some of you, you're going to notice some areas that are a little bit out of sync. And we want to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, get to work rebuilding. And so here's the first thing. Number one is you got to acknowledge it. When you notice that that some aspect of your relationship with God is in disrepair. There's a distance, maybe some habits creeping back into your life that don't represent God's best for you. You got to acknowledge it. That's what Nehemiah does. Look at verse four. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah recognized the broken condition of his people, the separation between them and God, just how far they had fallen. He acknowledged it, and Nehemiah wept. In the biblical sense, he lamented. Have you heard this word before? There's a book in the Bible named Lamentations. He lamented. To lament is to express a sense of holy remorse. It's to acknowledge that things are not the way they should be. We've had a few moments of national remorse in our, in our country where we lamented. I think about 9-11 when that happened over 20 years ago. There was a sense of just national remorse. We lamented that something so terrible could happen to our nation. I think about the attacks on the Capitol, the riot where people stormed the Capitol just a few years ago. I think we had a wake-up call in our country of just how divided we've gotten, and there was a sense of remorse. I know for me, as a New Orleans Saints fan, when the Saints were shut out of the Super Bowl a few years ago because of a really bad no-call by a referee, it caused a moment of, of lamentations among Saints fans all over the country. I'm still lamenting and bitter all of these years later. <laughs> to lament! To lament, it's to recognize that things are not as they should be. Nehemiah allowed the full weight of the broken condition of his people in his city to rest upon him, to weigh upon him. Let me ask you this question. When you recognize that your relationship with God, some aspect of your relationship with God, some area of your life is in disrepair, do you acknowledge it or do you ignore it and excuse it and excuse it away? I think many times we're tempted 
to do that, just to ignore the problem. We don't want to deal with the pain. We don't want to deal with the heartache. We don't want to deal with the work that that problem represents. So I have a bathroom right now at my house that is in disrepair. <laughs> we have a shower stall that's been leaking that needs to be replaced. And here's how I discovered it. On the, on the wall outside of that bathroom, uh, there's a part of my basement. We call it the man cave. It's where the boys hang out. They have their Xbox. They have their foosball table and, and their little basketball goal down there. And, and, and on that wall one day, there's some bean bags where the boys sit. One of the bean bags was moved. And I noticed a little bubble about an inch wide in, in the drywall. And I recognized there was a leak coming from the shower. So I marked that little bubble off with pencil just to kind of make sure it wasn't growing. And then I figured, oh, the shower just needs to be caulked. I'm not that handy, but I can do that. So I caulked the whole shower really good. And I kind of forgot about it. Well, a few weeks later, probably like a good month later, once again, I randomly happened to be in the basement and that little one inch bubble turned into about a foot and a half bubble. And I realized I had a full blown leak. And you know what I wanted to do at that point? I wanted to just take the beanbag and just put it right back in front of it and walk off. You know what I mean, right? It's like, who has time for this? I don't feel like dealing with this. What's it going to cost? I have enough problems. My life is busy enough, but I recognize that if I didn't deal with it, the problem was going to get worse. The leak was going to get worse. I was going to get mold in my house, something like that. So I did what I always do. I call my good friend John up, who knows how to fix these things and help me out. <laughs> but I think sometimes in life, this is what we're, we're tempted to do. Sometimes the hardest thing to do when we discover that something is broken in our lives is just to take the first step and even acknowledge it, to deal with it. Let me just tell you how to make a bad situation worse, okay? When you recognize that something is broken in your life, that there's a distance between you and God, a distance between you and someone in your life, that, that things are broken in your life, let me encourage you to do a few things if you want to make it worse. Instead of acknowledging your brokenness, blame it on other people. Blame it on other people. Make excuses for it. Exonerate yourself. Stuff it. Distract yourself with a bunch of really unhealthy habits instead of dealing with the problem. If you do that, I promise you, you will make a bad situation even worse. But can I just encourage you today that acknowledging the problem isn't something we have to dread when we recognize that acknowledging the problem is the very thing that puts us on the path to healing. It's the very thing that can cause us to take the first step toward repair. Let me encourage you today. I know we don't think of lament as something that feels good, but lament can become a path to praise. The scripture says that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When you lament and you recognize that things are broken, that is the first step to putting you back on the path to healing. They're putting you back on the path of repair. And so that's step number one. When we recognize brokenness, we've got to acknowledge it. Here's the second thing. What do we do when we recognize that we've drifted? What do we do when we recognize some cracks in the foundation of our relationship with God and it's showing up in different areas of our lives? What do we do? Number two, we repent. Everybody say repent. We repent. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter one, verses five through seven. Notice Nehemiah's prayer. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Listen to this prayer. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah, when he recognizes the broken relationship 
between his people and his God. He doesn't make excuses for it. He doesn't ignore it. He repents. Nehemiah repents. Now, what does that word mean? That sounds like one of those really old school church words, right? You got to repent and get right with God. To repent is to acknowledge your sins, to confess them, and then to turn back to God. This is one of my favorite words in the Bible because it comes from the Hebrew word teshuva. Teshuva literally means to return. It's a word picture. It's this this picture of getting on the right path, making a U-turn, doing a 180, and getting on, on the right path that leads you back to God. How many of you remember the days before GPS? Anybody in here old enough to remember the days before GPS? You know, back in the day when we had road maps and atlases in our cars. How many of you remember the days when we used to print off MapQuest directions? Yeah. So we got some young people in this place who have no idea what we're talking about. They're like, this is ancient history to you. Before we had, you know, GPS on our phones and, and in our cars, you could make a wrong turn and be driving in the wrong direction for a very long time. Okay? And my theory is that women got together and invented GPS because they were tired of their husbands and the significant others in their lives taking the wrong turn and having too much pride to stop and ask for direction. Have you ever noticed that the voice in the GPS, it's always a woman's voice. Hello? Just saying, guys. It's a conspiracy. Women got together to invent GPS. And now they're snickering all over the world as we listen to the little lady who tells us to make a left here, make a turn here. If we miss the turn, she reroutes us and we have to listen. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you miss a turn, what does GPS do? It automatically begins rerouting you. It starts spinning and starts finding the way to get you on, on the right path. It's not enough to recognize that you've missed a turn. You've got to turn around and get on, on the right path. That's what, that's what repentance is. And you know, our culture tells us to do the opposite. Our culture tells us, you don't need to do that. You should only ever feel good about yourself. You should only ever feel good about your, your direction, your choices. Do what makes you feel good. Do what validates you. Be true to yourself and you will be fine. That is the prevailing message of our culture. Yet we open scripture and scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Scripture warns us, man, that's one of those verses that makes me sit up. Scripture says there are those who have made decisions that according to their standard, according to, to their, your own moral compass, they've made decisions that seemed right at the time, but it led to death and destruction. And we all know someone We all have seen politicians and celebrities and people of great power who it seemed like they had it all going on, but made decisions that, that led to ruin, that ruined people's lives. And so in order to repent, we need to learn to embrace a healthy measure of guilt. Some of you are like, oh, great. I came to church on the day where Pastor Jeremy is going to guilt trip me. Hang in there. I'm not going to guilt trip you. I'm a grace preacher. Let me tell you something. Guilt can be a good thing. I'm talking about guilt, not shame. Don't confuse the two. Guilt has to do with what? Guilt has to do with an action, something outside of yourself. Shame has to do with your identity, who you are. I don't believe that God is calling us to embrace shame, but I do believe we need to feel a sense of guilt at times. In fact, I believe God came to set you free from shame. If you're hearing a voice that tells you you're a low-down, terrible sinner, you're not a child of God, you're never going to be who God wants you to be, that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of the enemy, okay? 
The Holy Spirit convicts us into righteousness. So that, that shame, I'm not saying we should embrace shame, but here's what I'm saying. There are times when it's healthy and appropriate to experience guilt. Let me read a quote from you that I think is so powerful. Pastor John Mark Comer said this in his book, Live No Lies. He said, there are times and situations where guilt is the emotionally healthy, mature, loving response of our own sin. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body, a kind of moral discomfort. Wow. How many of you know it's actually healthy to feel some level of pain? Did you know that? That means your body is operating correctly. It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you. Like, <laughs> your body is operating correctly when you experience pain. Pain is a protection mechanism. In fact, this week I was reading about leprosy of all things, one of those, you know, biblical diseases we read about, which is actually still around today. It's known as Hansen's disease. And it's, leprosy is caused from a very rare bacterial infection that can cause nerve damage in some people. And that nerve damage can even cause people to not feel pain. And so what happens often is people who contract this disease, they can't feel pain and they often end up damaging their limbs and their fingers and their extremities because they burn themselves and they injure themselves. And because they can't feel the pain, the injuries are that much worse. So they end up with infections that they don't notice, and they often end up losing those limbs. Do you understand? Like, like nobody wants to live in chronic pain, but we recognize that pain is actually an important indicator. It's actually an important protection mechanism for our bodies. And so for you and me, in a spiritual sense, we need to feel some moral discomfort sometimes. We, we need to feel some spiritual pain in the form of, of guilt, not shame, but guilt. Let me tell you, for, this, for, for me, this is personal because I often have times where I feel moral discomfort and I need to. As I was working on this message, I was thinking about how so many times I've lost my patience with my kids or lost my patience with my wife and I said something hurtful and I went away and I felt the guilt of what I said weighing on me. I'm not talking about a condemning voice that told me I was less than what God has called me to be, but a voice that reminded me that, that what I had done was wrong and it caused me to wake up and realize I need to go repair what I did. I need to go apologize. I need to make things right with the people I love. I need to make things right with, with my God. And here's the good news. The good news is that God is gracious. God is gracious. We go to him on the basis of his mercy, of his grace, of his goodness. And Nehemiah understood this. Look at verse 5. He said, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah understood he was going to God. He was appealing to God on the basis of his covenant love. This comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It's one of those good Hebrew words you have to kind of cough it up from the back of your throat. Hesed, right? Hesed is, is God's covenant loyalty. It's his love in which he binds himself to us. It's almost like a marriage vow in which God pledges to love his people faithfully. This is how we appeal to God, on the basis of his covenant love through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we struggle to, to go to God because we feel the weight of our actions. We feel our sin. So often the enemy is condemning us. But can I just encourage you today, church, never limit your prayers because you feel sinful and unworthy. The good news is you don't go to God on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of who he is. And he is loving and gracious and merciful and faithful. First John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you go to our good God, he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't beat you up, but he receives you by his 
grace, according to his unfailing love. That's how he meets us, and that's how we pray. Talking about four things we can do when we look around and we have a wake-up moment. We recognize that some things in our lives are broken. There's some cracks in the foundation. For some of us, we're in full-blown disrepair, and it's showing up in areas of our lives. What do we do? What do we do? We, we acknowledge it. Number two, we repent. We get on the right path back to our loving God by his grace. And then number three, we stand on God's promises. We stand on the promises of God. Notice what Nehemiah Praise. Let's continue to look at his prayer in verses 8 through 9. Here's what he prays. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. That's what happened. The people of God were unfaithful. God had warned them. He told them, if you aren't faithful to me, if you serve other gods, you're going to end up being scattered among the nations. You're going to lose your inheritance. Verse 9, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah begins to claim the promises of God. He begins to claim the promises of God. He, he allows the word of God, the promises of God to inspire his prayers. He says, God, remember your promises. He, he, begin, he begins to remind God of his, of his promises as if God needed to be reminded. But he allows the word of God to inspire his prayers. Have you ever had a time in your life when you weren't even sure how to pray? You weren't sure what God's will was, you, you just kind of felt lost, and you're like, I'm not even sure how to pray. When you're in moments like that, can I just encourage you to get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to inspire your prayers? How many of you know the will of God is found in the Word of God? If you want to pray according to the will of God, begin to read Scripture and pray it back to God, and you'll always be praying according to His will. You'll be coming into agreement with the Word of God. Some of you need to do this. you got to start claiming the promises of God over your life. And so maybe you're in a season right now where you're feeling a lot of opposition. It feels like people are coming against you. Things are tense at work and, and with other people. You begin to claim the promises of God. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Maybe you're going through a season where you need financial provision. There's not enough income coming in. You need a new job. You begin to, to claim the promises of God. For my God shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're running a little bit low on hope and despair is beginning to over, overwhelm you, and you begin to be reminded of the words of Scripture where God said, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in, in, in a future. Maybe you need healing in, in your life. You remind God, God, you, you said, I am the God that healeth thee. I'm claiming by your stripes I'm healed. Maybe you're walking through a time of fear, fear that's just overwhelming, fear that's incapacitating you, and you begin to pray the prayer of the psalmist, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You kind of begin to claim the promises of God over your life. Nehemiah isn't operating in shame. He's operating in sonship. He knows that despite all that's happened, he's a child of God, an heir according to the promises of God. In fact, he even begins to rehearse and remind God of the, the redemptive identity of his people. Look at this in verse 10. He goes on to pray this, talking about the Israelites. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. God, 
don't forget about all you brought us through. God, don't forget about how you took us out of slavery in Egypt. Remember the 10 plagues? Remember the Passover? Remember all that you did? God, you didn't do all that for nothing. Come on, some of you need to remember your story. God, I remember what you brought me through. You took me through that situation. You, you healed my body. You restored my finances. You restored that relationship. God, you didn't do all that for nothing. If you were faithful then, I believe you are faithful now. And you stand on the promises of God for your life. God, I'm holding on to your promises. Why? Because I am your child, redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. I'm holding on to your promises for my life. God, I'm holding on to your promises for my future. God, I'm holding on to your promises for my marriage. God, I'm holding on to your promises for my kids. Some of you, your kids are going through it right now. Maybe they're away from God. God, I'm, I'm praying your promises over my kids, over my family. I'm standing on the promises of God. What do you do? What do you do when you, when you realize that, that you're not where you want to be in your relationship with God, that there's some distance, <laughs> there's some cracks in, in the foundation, there's some areas of brokenness in your life. Number four, you embrace the process. Come on, would you turn to your neighbor and say, embrace the process. Somebody online, type it in the comments. Embrace the process. Help me preach this morning. You got to embrace the process. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11. Here's what he prays. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he adds this, I was cupbearer to the king. It's almost like an aside to fill you in. In case you didn't know, I was cupbearer to the king. You got to embrace the process. See, Nehemiah, he was about to embark on a journey. He was about to embark on a process of rebuilding what was in disrepair. The ending verses of this chapter hint at this. He's about to go to the king to leverage his position as an official in the king's court and to ask for permission to travel back to Jerusalem to begin the process of rebuilding the walls. And we're going to read more about that in the next few chapters over the next few weeks. Nehemiah, he plans to go to the king and to appeal to him for help. Why? Because he recognized that the rebuilding was going to be a process that it was going to take some time. That he, first of all, he had to travel from where he was in Susa in the Persian Empire back to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem. There was going to, it was going to take a lot of organization and resources and people. A lot of hands had to, had, to, had to go to work. And it was going to be a process. It was going to be a process. And I think so often when we have moments where we recognize that something in our lives is in disrepair, and we need God to fix it. We, we have these wake-up moments. We want God to fix our problems. But the problem is we want him to fix it overnight. <laughs> God, I recognize that I don't feel as close to you as I used to. God, I recognize that my health is slipping. God, I recognize that I've made a lot of really bad decisions and I'm drowning in consumer debt. God, I recognize that I've had un un unforgiveness. God, I recognize that I allowed that habit, that compulsive behavior back in, into my life. And God, it would be really nice if you just fix it overnight. I've had people come to me with 20 years of problems and they want me to fix it in about 20 minutes <laughs> in one conversation. And it's not that I'm judging them, it's just that I hear their story, I'm thinking to myself, man, you've, been, you've made a lot of decisions, you made a lot of choices, there, there were, it took years to get you into this situation. Sometimes it's gonna take a process to get out of it. It's gonna take a process. And yes, I believe there are powerful moments when God shows up by the power of his Holy Spirit. You can experience a breakthrough. There's salvation, there's healing, there's freedom. Yes, God can do that. But what I've noticed is that most often God works through a process over time. 
Even salvation is, is a process. It's the fancy word we call sanctification. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Your salvation will be complete the day you stand before Jesus. It's a process. It, it's, it's a process. And so maybe it's, you need to experience healing in your body. Maybe there's, you've neglected your health and you're going to pray and God's going to give you wisdom to start making some lifestyle choices to get healthier, to seek out the right professional help that can help you and it's going to be a process. Maybe you recognize that there's some cracks in your emotional foundation. It's time to go see a counselor and to put in some work to cooperate with God for your healing, but it's going to take some time. It's going to be a process. Maybe some of you recognize you're drowning in debt. There's so much financial pressure on you and you're going to pray and God's going to give you a strategy. God, give me the right resources. Put the right financial advisor in my life to help me begin to make wise decisions so I can get out of debt. Maybe it's forgiveness. Let me tell you, I discovered something years ago that forgiveness is often a process. When you've been hurt deeply, you have to forgive over and over and over and over again until God fully heals that wound. It's a process. We are, can I just encourage you today, if you came in here today and you, you don't feel like you have it all together, it's okay. We're all in process. I'm in process, you're in process. The person next to you, no matter how nicely dressed they are, we're all in process. God invites us into a process. Here's what I've learned, that redemption requires us to take the long view. Redemption requires us to take the long view. God always sees things from a perspective of eternity and not merely right now. And, and my experience is that God is almost never in as big a hurry as I am. God is almost never as in big a, a hurry in my life as, as I am. And I wonder if sometimes we miss out on the most powerful things that God wants to do in our lives because we're in too much of a hurry and we give up too soon. When God is inviting us to wait upon him, to trust him, I know the, 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 the most powerful things that God has done in my life have often come in waiting on him for it to unfold, trusting him, walking it out in process. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment just to bow your head in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. Just to have a moment of reflection, let me ask you this question. How, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God? Even as I'm sharing this message, some of you are recognizing that it's in disrepair. There's a distance. You don't feel as close to God as, as you used to. Maybe some things have come back into your life that you never thought you would allow back into your, your, your life. What about your relationship? What aspect of your relationship is broken? There hasn't been time for you to spend time in God's presence. Maybe it's just your, if you're honest, your love has grown a little bit cold. You don't have the same passion you used to have. We go through seasons like this, and, and God gives us moments to, to wake up, to come to our senses and acknowledge it. Maybe it's showing up in some area of your life, in a relationship, in your marriage, in your health, in your stress levels, in your anxiety, in your emo emotional and mental health, and you recognize that the root of it is your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. And what are we going to do today? We're going to acknowledge it. We're going we're gonna to acknowledge it. We're not going to excuse it away. We're not going to blame other people. We're, gonna, we're going to repent. We're going to literally turn back toward God by His grace, by His mercy, standing on the promises of God, holding on to His Word, reminding God of His faithfulness, taking the Word of God 
and claiming it over our lives. We're going to embrace the process of rebuilding with God's help, by His grace, by His love, by His mercy. Like Nehemiah, we know that as we go to God today, we go to a good God, to a loving God, to a gracious God, a God who's not going to point fingers at us, a God who's not going to throw our mistakes back in our face, a God who's not going to condemn us, but a God who will receive us by His grace, by His love, by His mercy. Scripture says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's forgiveness, there's healing, there's freedom in God's house today. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray into it all over this place today. Come on, we're turning our hearts back to God today. All over this place, we're turning our hearts back to you today. God, we recognize the places where we've drifted. God, we recognize the places where we've lost our passion. God, we recognize the places where we have not prioritized the things of God. We have not prioritized walking in your ways, and we're turning our hearts back to you today. Somebody needs to pray that, God, I'm turning my heart back to you today. I'm coming back to you, God. I'm taking steps towards you today. God. I'm repenting today, God, and I'm standing on your promises that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that God, you receive us today by your grace, by your love, by your mercy. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how far we've drifted. Lord, today it's by your grace because of your covenant of love, your steadfast love. You receive us today as sons, as daughters, as children of God. We stand on your promises. And Lord, today we're asking for your grace and for your strength to embrace the process. It may take time. It may take time. It may take some, some decisions that we start making. But one day at a time by your grace. One day at a time by your grace. We are taking steps toward you. We're shoring up the foundation and believing that you will rebuild our lives. And now in this moment as we're praying, I want to pray for the person who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I feel so far away from God today. Could God forgive someone like me? Could God receive someone like me today? I don't even know where to start. Let me tell you, as I said before, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is your day to call on the name of Jesus who will forgive, who will meet you by his grace. And it starts today by just saying, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've failed. Just pray that with me. I confess my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. I receive your grace and your mercy and your love today. I recognize my need for a savior. In Jesus, I place my faith in you. I'm trusting in you today. Believing that you can forgive me. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer today you are faithful and you're just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Thank you for hearts turned back to you. Thank you for sons and daughters coming home today. You receive us by your grace. We thank you. We give you praise. We bless your name in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.